The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. It was an incredible privilege. The disciples had been following Jesus around. They had been listening to what he was teaching, and they had seen him do amazing things, jaw-dropping, impossible things. They had seen him expel demons and heal diseases with just a word. And then he said they would do the same thing. They would expel demons and heal diseases. Can you imagine how excited they were? I mean, to do what Jesus was doing? That had to be incredible. I imagine that some of the twelve right away started to make their plans. Where they were going to go, what they were going to talk about, what they would wear, what food they should bring along. It was a big job, and they would want to be prepared. But then I imagine that reality hit them. I wonder if they might have gotten a little bit anxious, hesitant, maybe even a little bit scared. Because who were they? Who were they to take out Jesus' message? Who were they to do what Jesus was doing? I mean, he was unlike anybody they had ever seen. Who were they to do what he did? A couple of fishermen who could untangle a a net pretty quick, but, but preach and teach about repentance and the forgiveness of sins? What about Matthew? He was a tax collector. People like him were known for ripping people off. Why would anyone listen to him? Luke was a doctor. He could bandage a wound just fine, but mend somebody's broken soul with the gospel? What authority did he have to do that? I wouldn't be surprised if all of the 12 disciples started thinking to themselves that in the grand scheme of things, Jesus, we're pretty much nobodies. We're certainly not like you. Why would you send us? By what right would we go out and share the gospel message with other people when we know that we certainly don't deserve it? On whose authority could we even try to accomplish this mission? On whose authority? That's such an important question. It was important for them, and it's important for us. I wonder if the disciples looked at Jesus, and then they looked at themselves and each other, and just shook their heads. They knew that they were sinners. They knew then, just as we know now, that they were vastly underqualified to even try to attempt what Jesus was doing. So why? How? On whose authority could they carry out this big mission? On whose authority 
can we carry out the mission that Jesus has given us? It's simple, really. Mark writes, Calling the twelve to him, Jesus began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Jesus gave them his authority. They would speak with his word and his power. Jesus knew that his disciples couldn't do this on their own. Last week we heard how the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, he didn't bring anything but weakness to the task that God had given him. But what did God do? He stood him up and he gave them the power and the confidence and the authority to accomplish his mission. Jesus knew that his disciples would face opposition and hostility and rejection. And he also knew that his disciples would need his help to face all of it. Today, we reflect on how God helps his disciples. Before the twelve went out on their first mission trip, Jesus gave them a very specific set of instructions. So specific that we might scratch our heads and wonder, Jesus, why is it important how many shirts they wear? Why can't they take an extra walking stick? Why can't they take a bag or some money? I mean, this is a big trip. It's an important task. Jesus, they were just trying to be prepared because, well, you never know what might happen. You see, that makes sense to us. We can understand why the disciples would want to be overly prepared for this, their first missionary journey. Because we know that in this world, things happen. Life happens. And you just never know. If the disciples had gone out to some place and I don't know, they didn't have food to spare, it would make sense to take along a few extra loaves of bread. If they had to camp out on the side of the road and it got really cold, an extra shirt would be extra helpful. It makes sense. But that's the thing. It makes sense to us because, well, you never know. You never know what might happen And life certainly happens. But Jesus was telling them to trust him, to have faith in him. We might not know what the future holds, but he does. And when it comes to his people, when it comes to the people who are in God's kingdom, when it comes to us, Jesus cares for us more than we realize. Not long before this account, Jesus had told his disciples, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And of course, the answer is yes. Of course, we're more valuable than birds to to God. But that's not always easy to remember. In fact, it's easy to forget. 
especially when life happens, when relationships become strained, when your job's on the line, when, when bills start to stack up, when sickness takes hold, it can be easy to forget. And we can start to question and worry and doubt about what happens next. What will tomorrow bring? Another problem? Another disappointment? You never know. But Jesus told his disciples then, and he tells us now, trust me. Have faith in me. And then what did the Apostle Paul go on to tell the Romans? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's you and me. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that God wants us to just give up entirely and not be wise with what we have and what we do. God doesn't want us to just say, well, I'll live however I want, I'll do whatever I want, because I know that in the end, God will take care of me. No, that's certainly not the point. God wants us to be aware that life does happen. That in this broken world, we will, at times, feel broken. And God wants us to be ready for that reality. If we're constantly worried about what happens next, if we're constantly worried about what might happen or what might fail, if we're constantly worried about the brokenness around us or the brokenness within us, then at a certain point, it becomes easy to forget. Easy to forget what God has told us. Trust me. When Jesus sent out the twelve on their first mission trip, he gave them a very specific instruction. His first instruction was, trust me, you won't have to worry about where you're going or how you'll get there. You're not going to have to worry about your safety on the road. You're not going to have to worry about freezing to death at night. And you're not going to have to worry about where you'll stay or what you'll eat. And you certainly won't have to worry about who you're going to be talking to. Because when you go out, when you share my message in this mission, I'm backing you. You're going with my authority and my power and my protection. And look, where you're going, with the message you're carrying, you will face opposition. You will face, face hardship and rejection and hostility. But here's what I want you to do. Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. That might be a little bit surprising to our ears, I mean, was Jesus telling his disciples to be that petty 
and that dramatic that, that they were supposed to walk away with not even a speck of dust on the bottom of their sandals from the place that rejected him. Was Jesus telling them that because those people rejected him, he was going to reject them and that he would never return to them and that town and the dust that's there? Leave it there. Is that really what Jesus was telling his disciples on this, their first mission trip? No. No, of course not. Jesus was telling his disciples, don't hang around people who reject the gospel. Don't act as if that's okay. Don't stay at their homes and and eat their food when they flat out reject the good news message that I've given you to tell them. Those people, those unbelievers, by rejecting the gospel message, they're still on the path towards destruction. But that means that they're still sinners, and they're still in need of a Savior. The disciples, by shaking off the dust from their feet, were giving a testimony against their sin, their unbelief, their rejection. It's a way of saying, we're not going to be associated with you and that rejection and those sins because that's not what Jesus wants from us. And then they were to just leave. Not approve, not say anything, just leave. Notice something. They weren't supposed to angrily respond, you're going to hell, you're doomed, you're making a huge mistake. No. No, they were just supposed to not approve and leave. This is what Jesus wanted from his disciples. He wanted them to leave the judging to the judge. Leave the judgment to him. And that is such an important lesson for us today, 2,000 years later. Jesus doesn't want us to be okay with people rejecting the gospel. But he also doesn't want us to flat out condemn them either because they're still sinners and they're still in need of their Savior. They just need the law to work on their hearts, to work on their consciences so that they know their need for the gospel. By not approving of of an unbeliever's rejection of the gospel, we Christians are doing exactly what Jesus tasked his disciples to do. To shake the dust off our feet as a testimony against their sinful rejection. And we're, in the end, leaving the judgment and the work of changing hearts We're leaving that to God. Now, that may seem more difficult, though, when whoever it is starts to fight back, starts to defend themselves and their sin. They'll come out and say it. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to judge me and what I do with my life? Why don't you just mind your own business? Who even are you? It's the 21st century. 
Leave that, that Christianity thing behind. The question, who are you, is another important one for us to consider. Who are we? We are sinful, just like everybody else. In our own ways, but we can't deny it. We're not perfect. When we look into a mirror, a sinner stares back. A person stares back who constantly fails, who disappoints others, who falls short of God's expectations of perfection. Who are we? What right do we have to disapprove of somebody else? On whose authority could we possibly tell them that what they're doing is wrong? On whose authority could we possibly tell them that there's some sort of solution to the problem that they don't even think exists? You see, when it comes down to it, on this side of heaven, you and I were, were still sinners. We could stand there with the 12 disciples and shake our heads and acknowledge the fact that we certainly don't deserve to carry this message out into the world just as much as we don't deserve to look God in the eye or to even be in his presence because we know that deep down we are imperfect and we certainly don't deserve the love that he has shown us. We could stand there with the 12 disciples and ask our Lord, why send me? Why give me this good news message to tell other people about? Because if anybody looks at my life, they're going to immediately say, you're not perfect either. Jesus, why send me? But the difference, the difference between us sinners who know our Savior and what he's done for us, the difference between us and those sinners out there who reject that gospel message. The difference is we have been washed clean of all of our sinfulness and imperfection. We have been given a robe of righteousness from Jesus himself that shines white with his purity and holiness. We have been declared not guilty as we stand before the judge because our punishment was suffered by Jesus. And we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's what makes us different. We may be sinners just like the rest of the world, but what sticks out in God's eyes is that through faith, he only sees his perfect son. What makes us different then is that we go out and we share that good news message with his authority, with his power, with his protection. We speak what he wants us to say. We share that trustworthy message that doesn't change no matter how much the world changes in its face. No, that, that trustworthy message that we cling to, that trustworthy message that doesn't falter or fail. The word of God, as he's given it. Here's the important point. When it's in the light of God's word that we live and talk and interact with those around us, we don't have to worry about 
defending ourselves or our thoughts or our opinions because those, those aren't what drive us. What drives us is the truth of God's word, the truth that he's given us in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, all of it together, the truth of the gospel message of Jesus, our Savior. We go out into the world, we share that good news message by his authority, with his support, with his backing, and with his protection. We may have been born sinners just like everybody else. We may be sinful by nature. But what makes us different is the fact that when God looks at each of us, he sees his son. What makes us different is that despite all of our sinfulness, because of Jesus' work, we have been made workers in God's kingdom, witnesses to the truth of his love and his desire that all people be saved. Brothers and sisters, this is our incredible privilege. We, as Christians, have been called to share that good news message with everyone we come in contact with, whether it's in our families, with our friends, with our co-workers, with strangers on the street across the world. We've been called to share that good news message. By the authority that God gives us, by the authority that is in his word and in the promises that he's given us in it, God then works and does what no one else could possibly do. He drives out the sickness of sin. He mends the brokenness of imperfection. And he makes alive what was certainly dead. You see, because in the grand scheme of things, God makes the weak strong. God makes the frail stand tall. God makes the last first. God took Amos, a shepherd and a farmer, and made him into a prophet of the Most High God who stood up to the failed and corrupt priesthood of the nation of Israel. God took Paul, someone who had persecuted his church and who had ordered the death of Christians, God took him and made him into the world's greatest missionary and a teacher to the Gentiles. And God took those fishermen and made them preachers and teachers of the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. God took that tax collector and that doctor and made them gospel writers who took out his very word and shared it with the people on the streets, with the people in the towns, with their whole region. Because in the end, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, God takes the sinner and makes him a saint. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news message that we've been called to share. So let's share it with the world by God's own authority. God grant it. Amen. Amen.